You're listening to Once, episode 210, Siege Perilous. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. I'm Aaron. And we're happy to have you joining us for this, our full discussion. Now that we've done some more research, gathered some of your feedback, rewatched the episode at least a couple times, and we're <laughs> ready to talk about this. And boy, we've got some great theories going on with all of this. So make sure that you go to oncepodcast.com. And subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already. And the show notes for this episode, if you'd like to follow along, will be at oncepodcast.com slash 210. Let's start off, as we usually do, talking about the past. Six weeks ago, they're talking about the tree and uh, the mushrooms, or rather the toadstool, toadstool, Yeah, which they discovered could be a thing. (laughs) And they did put out this idea, which makes me think, okay, when they put out an idea like this, That's the actual truth. And that is that Merlin isn't in the tree. Merlin is the tree. (laughs) So burning it to get him out would be a bad idea. Yes. Maybe. Regina clearly, from her days on the island in Lost, learned one very important thing. How to waste an entire sheet of (laughs) not-so-common paper to express one thing. That happened a lot on Lost. And here she writes one gigantic question mark to stick in the book. And apparently it is in her handwriting very clearly. Nobody else writes a question mark quite like that. Apparently, yes, a gigantic question mark, (laughs) which is not in handwriting, but it did serve a purpose later. So I guess maybe she foresaw that somehow. Emma is looking shockingly good in all of these scenes in the past. It's like they're (laughs) trying to make her look like the savior that she's not anymore. Right. It's almost like underlining real savior, fake. (laughs) Blonde hair dressed all in white looks like an angel. Opposite. Not that you have to have blonde hair to be the savior. (laughs) Right. right. Not as opposite as she used to be. True. True. Because she did go for something a little less evil. Would you say that it's truth that all of Emma's magic is dark now? Well. Regina seems to think so. Regina is the technical handbook of magic for the show so when she magic babbles we're supposed to take that as fact i I think it might be true too because she is the dark one and the nature of the dark one is darkness so what's going to come out of her is going to be darkness but is she the dark one yet totally 100 percent? well is the dark one a status that you achieve or is it something that is passed on regardless of your ability to wield it i think it's something that's passed on through the dark one dagger so she is the dark one but we've referred to it before as not fully the dark one because she's not embraced the darkness Hmm. yet but i think that yes her magic is dark because she is the dark one I feel like even if there is a steadfast rule that, yes, once you become the dark one, all magic that comes from you is dark, if there was ever an exception to that rule, it would be Emma because she was already 100% filled with light magic when she took on that darkness. 
Just saying. Yeah, that's a good point. And But also look at this, that the only times we've seen her use magic since then, it has been dark magic. And there have been some kind of penalties for it. Or Rumple has been there saying, yes, do it, do it, do it. Yeah. <laughs> but she wasn't even trying when she did that stuff. I don't know. A little bit later after Robin kissed Regina and, and left the two sisters there to have nice little sister fights. <laughs> I'm... A little disturbed by what seems to me Zelina's motivation here. It seems like she wants this baby for absolutely selfish reasons. Well, it's not she yeah. wants someone to love. It's I'll finally have someone to love. No, to love me. Because yeah. it's all about me. If I'm Zelina, that's what I would be saying. But in a, <laughs> in a lighter, more feminine voice. Yes, this is one of her best scenes ever. Also, I'm just going to refer to her as Mute Handmaiden from now on. (laughs) (laughs) I like that, and I hope she stays mute. She bugs me. I'm not a fan. Like, she's a really good villain because she's a sociopath, so she's got that going for her. (laughs) But, well, I and I love love their banter. Like, it's so funny to see the sister because, I mean, I have a sister and just (laughs) – Do you take her voice away? I do not. I bet you she wishes she could take mine sometimes, but she's the older sister. But um, yeah, no, I I am not a fan of Selena at all. She's a sociopath. She's crazy. Do you think she deserves a second chance? Well, a second, second chance? Yeah. A second, second, second chance? I think that when you make an effort to earn a second chance, then perhaps one will be given to you. She is not remorseful. She doesn't regret anything she's done. She's not showing any signs of wanting to change. So what good would another chance be? She's still selfish completely. She's still, yeah, she's yeah. still Zelina. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's kind of like in a way she has to earn her second chance mm-hmm. to prove that She's worthy of trust and such, which really makes me wonder where are they going to go with her character on the show? Is she simply going to be the side character mute handmaiden (laughs) or is she going to play a larger part in anything at all, either good or evil? Well, after Regina's taunting threats, I would say she's got to be pushed to some kind of breaking point. I mean, she's always kind of right there, ready to break. But I think that that's not going to be nothing. I feel like she, I kind of just thought of this, but she kind of need like she does not have any love. And love is what has made people change in this show, either for better or for worse. Like it was Henry that made Emma change and change her mind and figure out that she really was the savior. It was Henry that made Regina change and want to be good for him. And, you know, it's it's Belle who has made Rumple try to change. And I think that Zelina has nothing to motivate her to take that step to want to change. So she may want a second chance, but would it like what for? Yeah. She kind of has no one. She's so dark. <laughs> but maybe the baby will change that. Nah, because there's <laughs> another part of the clause that she keeps saying she wants someone to finally love her and only her. So what a life. The child will undoubtedly, if this little future she has envisioned were to come to pass, the child would eventually think of nothing but trying to get away. Yeah, that's true. And we'd have, you know, perhaps a (laughs) spinoff. 
we get to see more of the round table. And it was really neat to see some of the different coat of arms symbols that were on the different chairs. Like fish? Yeah. That was the only one I noticed. I was like, okay, that guy's whole thing is fish. That's great. Okay, there was that one. There was one that looked like potted plants, but I don't (laughs) think that's what it actually was. Um, There was another that looked like a hand, and it made me wonder if that was Midas's kingdom, if maybe Midas had someone that was a member of the round table as well. Uh, Maybe. If it were Midas, that table would have gotten an upgrade. (laughs) maybe Midas made the siege perilous which is that nice chair that looks like it could be made out of gold that nicey nice chair but the siege perilous is actually from arthurian legend and so special thanks to leslie for sending this in saying in arthurian legend the siege perilous also known as the perilous seat is a vacant seat at the round table reserved by merlin i think that's an important thing to note here For the knight who would one day be successful in the quest for the Holy Grail and fatal to any other occupant. Hmm, what could this mean for poor David? That's Leslie's note. Continuing on. It was originally believed that Lancelot, as the truest of Arthur's knights, would be the one to fill the seat until he was revealed to have committed treason with his affair with Guinevere. The knight who succeeded in obtaining the Holy Grail was Sir Galahad, whom we haven't met yet, or we may even never get to meet. But what really stood out to me about Leslie's feedback, giving us some more of the Arthurian legend, is Merlin reserved that chair. Yeah. Not Arthur. And there are things that are making me think, especially knowing that Arthur is a kind of villain, and we'll dig more into that, but it makes me wonder if maybe Arthur is violating certain rules that Merlin has put into place. Possibly, except they seem to have redefined the purpose of the seat. I kind of sense that Arthur isn't lying about everything, so I assume that his definition of who sits in the seat is valid for the purposes of the show. Well, and it does fit with what Leslie pointed out in the Arthurian legend, the truest of Arthur's knights and the one who would go for the Holy Grail in Once Upon a Time, they said, uh, would go for the carry out the most sacred of quests. So apparently the Holy Grail and other sacred artifacts, such as maybe a burning twig from the original burning bush that Moses (laughs) talked to. (laughs) So I'm guessing the chair clearly doesn't necessarily kill people that don't fit the criteria for it. Because Lancelot, well, we thought he was dead, but not because of the chair. (laughs) There could be some other magic, though, that happens or that maybe is delayed kind of like saving robin's life and then in storybrook (laughs) the fury coming after robin no the fury Uh, also in the scene i noticed david slipped and said snow before correcting to marry margaret and there was no eye batted in the room so i assume they're not trying too hard they must not be well known in camelot even by name true so i guess There's still no accounting for the fact that he's still calling her Mary Margaret. Maybe he just likes that name better. Well, then he is silly (laughs) and has bad taste in names. But they do have a good taste in quests to go on. (laughs) It's this. I I really enjoyed seeing the brotherliness of Arthur and David in this. And it's because of that, that makes it even more disappointing to me to see that Arthur appears to be some kind of villain. Because David needs a buddy. Yeah. He, Hook 
not necessarily a buddy. I mean, come on. What dad out there becomes buddy-buddy with the guy dating his daughter? None. Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe after the the uh, courtier and the daughter get married, maybe they become buddy-buddy. But still, there's that thing of, you know, I'll kill you if you harm my daughter sort of thing that always looms over the son that prevents the buddy-buddiness. So some walls, some general threats. Right. Mm. So I, it's cool to see David having someone that he can really relate with and go on quests together, manly quests and conquest and conquer and all sorts of cool things like that. Always comes down to the toadstool. <laughs> yeah. Good thing it wasn't in another castle. <laughs> I really liked what David said. It was toward the end, but um, just on this topic, he said, I don't want to only be remembered as the man who kissed a sleeping princess awake 30 years ago. And I just thought that was really interesting because I know that feminism gets on a rant about fairy tales back in the day about, you know, women were powerless and then once upon a time has done this amazing thing where they, you know, have rewritten the fairy tales and made women powerful and they get a lot of praise for that. But at the same time, like his statement is really true. Like in those fairy tales back in those days, the princes weren't really good for much. Like all they really did was swoop in and save the day right. at the end. They did not really have much involvement. And it's like, if you go to a Disney store, you don't buy Barbies with the princes. Like nobody, nobody cares about those ones. Like they only just, they care about the princesses. So it's just, I thought that was a really interesting line and it's kind of a perspective I haven't thought of very often. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly what we know of Prince Charming. You woke the princess up with a kiss and even in this show i mean like he you know slayed a dragon once and there's a couple things but if if you ask like what's the purpose of this if somebody asked about the show that had never seen it before like charming's not going to be one of the first five or six characters that you talk about mm. at least not that i would talk about <laughs> <laughs> maybe now though that he's found the uh, crimson crown <laughs> they did have this Neat little tidbit in their conversation in the pathway, they mentioned having an archery contest among their wives. Oh gosh, that whole thing. <laughs> but I think an archery contest would be the perfect opportunity for Robin Hood to really show his archery skills, Snow White competing with her archery skills, get a fox in there also competing with his archery skills, Disney, Robin Hood, and who else is good with archery that we've seen already? Merida. Oh, yeah. So I think we're going to see Merida again. And it will be at this archery tournament that will happen. That I think. This is not a prediction that I will support. <laughs> <laughs> However, I think we will see her again. It would be fun. <laughs> that is very significant in the Brave movie. The archery kind of, not tournament, but yeah, it was a tournament actually over her hand yeah. in marriage. And very similar archery tournament in the Robin Hood story. So it, it would be an excellent way of bringing these archery characters together. And yeah, why not see them have a tournament with each other? What is it about the animated Robin Hood movie that if anybody even mentions it, I instantly am at risk for having at least one song from it stuck in my head, possibly for days. Oh. It's been so long <laughs> since I've seen it. I couldn't remember a song, but I used to watch it a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't oh, that yeah. one, but thanks <laughs> for that. <laughs> you're almost at the fair use limit yeah. <laughs> the fairy use limit fairy use limit but 
<laughs> I noticed something really kind of creepy with the eternal flame that I'm going to call it that. The hand? Yeah. It's like, okay, you're not holding the handle. You're holding sort of like, what do you call that arm in the in the forearm or that bone in the forearm? Uh, th- um, I, I don't know. Don't do medicine on a podcast is what we learned. But yeah, he's basically holding onto an arm that is holding the torch. And it does make me wonder, is that actually someone's arm? Nah. It's just not. a Halloween decoration because it would be a great <laughs> Halloween decoration. They so, probably picked it up at a Halloween decoration right, store. Halloween is coming up and I'm going to announce it here again. I just decided this. Let's have another Halloween costume contest for Once Upon a Time. We Oh. We did this back in season <gasps> That's 1. Right, it was amazing. And there were some amazing entries. So I just now decided And um, (laughs) because we have donations and stuff now for the podcast, we can award more than a simple $10 Amazon gift card. So maybe we can do something. I have to look at the budget, but maybe we can do something like send you the season on DVD or Blu-ray, one of the missing seasons, if you don't have one or, or some kind of once upon a time. There's a missing season of once upon a time. (laughs) Yeah. It's called once (laughs) upon a time in Wonderland, Uh, but maybe we'll send you something um, cool. So, Here's what we'll do. This will take me a couple days to set up, but go to onespodcast.com slash contest. That might not work the very moment you're hearing this in the podcast, but I'll make it work as soon as possible. That's where you can go to submit a photo of yourself in your Halloween costume that is once upon a time themed. We'll gather all of these, submit it by November 1st. And then in that first week of November, for maybe one or two weeks, we'll have a voting period where people can vote, just vote only once. You don't have to do this vote every day kind of thing. Vote on the best Once Upon a Time costume, and we will award the winner with some really cool Once Upon a Time swag. It could be a t-shirt, because, hey, by the way, t-shirts, I mentioned the t-shirts, they're on sale right now, October 14th through 16th, that's Wednesday through Thursday, they're on sale. Go to oncepodcast.com slash t-shirts. You can always go there and check out the awesome t-shirts that are there, but go there because they're on sale too. So maybe we'll send you a free t-shirt, but whatever the case, get ready with that Once Upon a Time costume. And this all ties back to that torch. I want to see someone make that torch as part of their Once Upon a Time costume because that looks like a Halloween thing. Doc already said in the chat room that he's going to go dressed as that torch so (laughs) as the torch as the torch as the arm holding the torch so that'll be at oncepodcast.com slash contest and because it will involve well let's do this it's open internationally i know we have an international audience so if you are in a different country then it might change the value of what we're able to uh, give as an award but this will be open to everyone where it's legal. It might just be a virtual hug. Where it's not prohibited. I'll put it that way. Oncepodcast.com slash contest. Watch for that very soon. Watch for small printy rules. <laughs> like that you can't wear last year's Halloween costume. Oh. <laughs> you, uh, that's a good question. The rules will be at oncepodcast.com slash contest. Okay, we'll, we'll put it that. The one rule I know I'll have to make is... If you won the contest before, as great as that costume was, you can't be entered uh, again. So not even the same person again, maybe. Hmm. But what if they do a whole different costume? That's true. They could be on a streak. Check the site. Contest rules will be there. We'll figure it out afterward. Later. (laughs)
I, I thought that during this whole quest thing, they also made some great speeches to each other, both on the walk to their quest and then right after the quest when they, they didn't succeed. But what bothered me is rewatching this episode and realizing that all of these great speeches were based on a throne of lies, Arthur. <laughs> okay. So rewatching, and especially later when he was talking to Guinevere, I feel like my frame of reference has changed a little bit, especially in the past. I'm not going to address the Storybrooke part yet, but in the past, I think that he's not even necessarily being evil. He's putting his kingdom first, but in kind of an what I would consider a dishonorable and not super wise way. They're all lying to each other, honestly. <laughs> honestly. Uh, <laughs> because David's not being honest either. And Arthur knows part of that, but he doesn't know all of it yet. Because even when they came clean about Regina being the evil queen, they still keep up the pretense of, oh, she's the savior, and they don't say anything about the Dark One. So... Really, you could watch the show from an entirely different perspective. And maybe if we knew what Arthur was up to, and we were having bits of the Storybrooke people's true motives revealed to us bit by bit behind the scenes, we would think they were the villains. Is that kind of implying that Merlin could be a villain? Because he's the one sabotaging them, freeing Merlin. I don't think he's a villain. I think he's a victim of something that Arthur might have been doing, or Morgana or someone, because what The Apprentice said is that Merlin battled the darkness, and everything we know about Merlin and The Apprentice seem to be consistent with good guys, not bad guys. Yeah. So I'm thinking that Merlin definitely is a good guy. Arthur, uh, not so much. See, if they had left the reveal about Arthur until next week, I would have been probably like 90% on board with him being good. But then they pulled this and now I know that he's maybe not, or he at least has questionable intentions. So I don't know much about Arthurian legend. So this Morgana person that keeps getting thrown around, well, not literally, is there room (laughs) in any of this lore for her to actually be Arthur's daughter? Uh, no, not in Arthurian legend, but in Once Upon a Time mythology, yes. Any any kind of relationships possible in Once Upon a Time. Because that would give an interesting parallel, again, between Arthur and David. So they both have daughters with some kind of an evil side that maybe they're protecting. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why Arthur wouldn't want Merlin out of tree form. What if it's Morgana in tree form? And she was put there by Merlin. Oh, well, then where's Merlin? I don't yeah. know. That's what mm. everyone would like to know. Well, mm. was asking before. Maybe they're barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> <laughs> this episode's full of puns tonight. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The title card was definitely different in this episode, and it was based on uh, these trees from the swamp or bog. And I can't remember any other episode where they've changed the title card that drastically. It's always been the same forest. Yes, there was an episode where it was frozen, and they've always had different things in the background and sometimes changed the background of it. But I don't remember them ever changing what was actually there. 
it makes me question certain things about mm. what we see in this episode. B- yes, because the title card was different. It might be one of those things like, and I don't think this is really much of a spoiler, but Star Trek Enterprise had this four episode or so mini series <laughs> inside of the four season TV series. And these four episodes were like alternate universe. Yeah. Star Trek. And the intro was completely different to reflect that. I forgot like, about that. Instead of showing the Enterprise going and saving people, it showed the Enterprise going and blowing up people. And instead <laughs> of it being uh, white text on a black background, it was black text on a white background or something like that. Certain things were reversed and completely different, including in the title sequence, mm-hmm. giving you the impression that, yes, this is a completely different thing, different universe, different parallels and everything. Villains are different. Heroes are different and all of that kind of stuff. Here in Once Upon a Time, we're seeing that Arthur, whom we thought was maybe a hero, seems to be a villain, and they used a different title card. I'm not saying this really adds up necessarily, and that they're hiding something here (laughs) just by changing the title card, but it does stand out to me. I think that if they were trying to hint at something, they were 100% relying on you, Daniel, to <laughs> tell everybody. Because I actually studied the title card on pause and did not even notice. Like, I was like, what is it? It's just a forest. They didn't even have, like, a person in it or anything. So, That's funny. I mean, I don't study them that often, only when they're obvious, but... It's probably the designer in me that notices some of that stuff. But I know several of the people who were watching it live with us and hanging out in the chat room when we watched the show live, did notice it as well. When uh, David was going out across the bridge, did anyone else think, don't follow the lights? <laughs> yes, I wanted no. you to speak in that voice. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it with David having fights underwater with magical creatures that are supposed to be protecting and guarding something? That's this is true. at least the second time, if not the third. I think he needs to just stay away from enchanted water in yeah. general. <laughs> Yeah. The scene actually made me think of Harry Potter. I don't know the reference that you're referring to, though. So, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I'll put that on the list. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, Harry Potter. I remember that one, too. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it reminded me of Harry Potter. Well, water is often associated with magic in certain ways and magical creatures living in the water. When you look at their legends yeah, all over the world a... of weird, magical, mystical creatures living in the sea. Yes, but this was armor. is not usually known for living under the water phantom knights as they were called do you think there should have been more mist in this scene mist well first they look out across the bridge at the toadstool and then as david starts out across arthur says let the torch be your beacon back and i was kind of like well also maybe just follow the bridge and you know kind of look over across like you did when you went over the first time i think visually they were at a little bit of a limitation that they couldn't very easily show how far this was probably supposed to be maybe uh and it's not like david is a shyland monk that can just run across water like one of them recently did essentially recently on a floating bridge okay (laughs) uh and i it also bugged me how long it took arthur to get out onto the bridge to help him maybe he thought it would collapse but they didn't even show him, like, on the edge, if you could see the other side. he It didn't even look like he was standing there. I thought he had, like, left. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> he said, huh, that doesn't look like it's going to end well. I'm going to get a head start back. But no. There were multiple moments when he could have taken 
the toadstool as well. Oh, you think so, huh? I think one of those moments <laughs> could have been either when he was helping David out of the water or mm. when he was up there on the bridge while David was underwater because it did look like he just stood there and then he bent over and reached <sighs> down. Wow. So it was almost like you know, someone standing over someone else that's drowning and just like, <laughs> nope. Priority one, mushroom. Priority two, that David guy. So this manly bonding helps <laughs> ensure David's place around the round table, which I think that is really cool. I like that he's a knight of the round table. It's cool, but you know what? It's not cool. <laughs> yeah. You know why? Why? Because it's a scam. Yeah. It's a throne of lies. Because even though I don't think Arthur is supposed to be playing evil, if I didn't think that he was just playing David, giving him the Siege Perilous kind of shows. Since earlier he stated that no one would ever take that seat again. And now he's just like, we had one quest together and you almost died. You're my best friend. You get to sit in this seat. I mean, he doesn't even let him be at the round table for a while and get to know him before he's like, you know what? Move on up to the big chair, <laughs> big guy. Uh, no, he just go right there. And I think it's all part of his plot to play David in some way, but we don't know exactly what that is yet. These were probably some of the other knights of the round table that were here at the knighting ceremony. And that they were there makes me think that there probably aren't any other significant knights of the round table that we're going to meet. It's this, this, just this group of people that nameless, faceless for the most part. They might be representatives of kingdoms that we know, but we might not get to meet any of the others. I guess, but it seems very disappointing to me if we see the round table and we never see the knights of the round table. That mm, seems like it should be filled for at least one scene. But we do get to see Lancelot again. Do you think that he really does Lance a lot? <laughs> he might have. Maybe that's the long story to how he's still alive. Duh. <laughs> but he said yeah. something that I wonder if maybe we should take more literally than he was saying and that the show makes us think. He said that Arthur is the villain and Camelot is not what it seems. Is it not really Camelot? What if no. Camelot is not the kingdom. What if Camelot is a person? No, maybe it's a camel. Think about this, though. Throughout this episode, Arthur has been saying things like, for Camelot, and make this sacrifice for Camelot. But yes, he has also said, for my kingdom, uh, my kingdom comes before my own mm. things. But it does make me wonder, this could be a, a little once upon a time qu twist, that all this time we're thinking Camelot is the kingdom. But when Arthur also says later on in the episode in Storybrooke that they're going to build a new Camelot in Storybrooke, what if they're not talking about a kingdom, but about something else or someone I else? I think that's a stretch. It could be. Yes, I know. It could be. But it could also be really interesting. We got feedback, uh, voice feedback, so I wasn't able to quite cut it up in a way that does it justice. But really? Katie suggested that maybe Arthur isn't really Arthur. Man, maybe nothing is what it seems. Maybe no one's what they seem. Maybe maybe Regina is really Princess Toadstool. I don't think it's that complicated, honestly. I could be wrong. I, I've, I think I've said that before about other plots, and it's ended up that I was wrong. But there's always, uh, there's always a certain simplicity 
to the plot, I think, but there's also kind of an ambiguity. And there's a surprise. And a surprise, surprise twist. Sometimes that twist is complicated. Sometimes it's simple. Are you suggesting that the guy that they are interacting with right now in this past present is not Arthur or that that character never was Arthur? Either. <laughs> like, Just because well, he did take Excalibur. Right. He did take Excalibur. Actually, it, Philip sent this great piece of feedback here. It's not specifically about Arthur, but this does uh, give a little bit of thought to some other theories and maybe Guinevere being a villain. Philip said, unless Arthur used enchanted gloves to trick the sword into releasing itself from the stone, I believe that a marked change has happened within him in the time since that happened. Lancelot was by his side when Excalibur was removed, so we know it must have been a while ago. This leads me to suspect that Guinevere is the true villain in this scenario. She is almost always with him, that's Arthur, when he is revealing the more nefarious side of his character. What if she is Morgana in disguise, bewitching him to do her bidding and keeping Merlin out of the picture? As much as I would like to see a non-female villain for once, I can't help but suspect her. So maybe Arthur's not who he says he is? Like maybe it's sort of like the Lancelot Cora thing where Cora was disguised as Lancelot. Maybe someone else is disguised as Arthur right now. Or maybe to Philip's theory here, maybe Guinevere is the villain here and Guinevere is actually Morgana and she's pulling the strings. Do think about this, giving a little more support here to Philip. Guinevere has been the one that's expressed more concern about the sword, especially when they were in Storybrooke. Maybe Guinevere is Cora and everything else is a projection in a book that Cora convinced Henry to write. I was going to ask if we've considered where Arthur may lay in the family tree of Once Upon a Time. Oh, dear. <laughs> Everybody has to be related. Oh my gosh, it's like a rule. Right. Who has a secret brother? It, I bet you it's Robin Hood. It's got to be. Hmm. He does have a peasanty background. Shepherd, fist pump, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, there are heroes that are true heroes, and I would like to thank some of our heroes for this episode of the podcast. David Newland, Steve Johnson, Lisa Slack, and Lisa Rutledge, our new hero on Patreon. Thank you very much for your kind support. We could not do this podcast without you. It'd be like trying to rule the kingdom without Excalibur. It just can't happen. Thank you very much for supporting the podcast, keeping the podcast running. We have 27 backers on Patreon right now, and you can support the podcast too for as little as a dollar a month or for as much as you'd like to give on a monthly basis. But that's a great way to support us. And please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero to be a hero for the podcast and keep it going. That's oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you, David, Steve, Lisa and Lisa and our 27 Patreon backers for your kind support. We couldn't do this without you. Thank you. Another way that you can support the podcast, as I mentioned earlier, is go to oncepodcast.com slash t-shirts. Great designs. We've picked out what I think are some of the best Once Upon a Time designs that are on the site over there. These aren't our own designs, but we've curated some of the great designs there. And you can get Rumpelstiltskin on a t-shirt. You could get M on a t-shirt or Hook on a t-shirt or anything cool like that. And these are 
great t-shirts too. And they're on a great sale right now, just for a few days. Go to onespodcast.com slash t-shirts to check that out. And all of these links will be in the show notes as well as on the website, onespodcast.com. Let's move on to the present whistling while we work and get there. I was just wondering why it was Happy's Axe. Is it because it was the one that was laying there or is there something specific about Happy's Axe? Michael Coleman is getting a lot more lines this season and he's doing a good job. Yeah. I'm thinking it was simply because it was there. Yeah. I'm just I'm just now realizing something. Emma gave that really creepy whispered, if your name is on something, hold on to it. And I thought she was totally going to control him and make him do something. But no, she just needed one of the dwarf axes and she didn't even get to swing it before her head rumple stopped her. <laughs> and was kind of like, yeah, that's a bad idea. Well, even then when she did swing it at him, the axe broke. And there's nothing stronger than a dwarf's pickaxe, the diamond-cutting yeah. pickaxes. Remember Snow White's speech to that guy? Oh, oh. That's probably why Dark Emma wanted Snow. this. Yeah. I do find, though, that when they say nothing stronger and greatest potential and things like that, that it's not really the truth. Because obviously Excalibur's hold is stronger than the pickaxe. Yeah. It was kind of an empty threat, though, to reference his name being on it. It could also be simply the irony of it, because here Emma's dark and doesn't seem to be happy, and she's picking up <laughs> Happy's pickaxe. Or maybe they just decided, eh, it's time, it's Happy's turn to get picked on. We've picked on the other picked. dwarves. <laughs> you know, Grumpy <laughs> gets a lot of airtime. Dopey got to be turned into a tree and make oxygen. <laughs> and Sneezy has, well, had all kinds of things done to him. So now... <laughs> It's Happy's turn. Sneezy uses all the oxygen. But back at the sheriff's office, I was reminded of a couple seasons ago, the dwarfs being upset, saying, nobody steals from a dwarf. And then all the dwarfs start listing, except for the evil queen, except for this, except for that. (laughs) Now they can add, except for the savior, who's now the dark one. Oh, gosh. To their list. And your daughter. I was going to say, really just Charming's kid to them now. I love how concerned Snow was that they were going to hurt Emma. And then they realized, oh, actually, they can't hurt Emma. <laughs> she's the dark one. <laughs> I, I don't like this dwarf situation. I, I It's just an ongoing battle, I guess. They were, they were on her side, and then now they're being dumb again. They're being pretty small-minded. Yeah. Hmm. Like, what have they been through with her? And then now that they, her kid is the dark one, it's like that seems to be... You know, the worst thing that could happen, which, I mean, it probably is, but (laughs) they don't have to act like it. One, remember, they were the ones who wanted to leave the town. Since Emma, who was the savior, is now the dark one, they're terrified. Because it's, what would you do if the person you respected the most and who did all of these great things for you, it suddenly turns out that they're sitting on a throne of lies, (laughs) or that they are now the villain even though they did all these great things, they're now the most powerful villain. I think in some way they're being reasonable, but also forgetting the relationship here. Yes. So is it the dwarves forgetting the relationship or the writers? I think the dwarves. Okay. (laughs) Will they remember? Will they come through in the end or will they just run around complaining more than usual until it's all over? Tune in next time. (laughs) Uh, 
David and Snow seem like they're getting more time this season to be them, to actually have something to do that seems charming's like, and actually be characters who do more than stand in the background and say, we'll support you, whatever you decide. And cool, but they're actually doing something, different things. David looked particularly pleased later on when Snow said, you did it. He realized, I did do something since I woke you up. Well, yeah, because this episode, he you look at in the past storyline, six weeks ago, he wanted to go on this quest because he couldn't just stand around and he knew a quest. I can go on a quest, this noble quest and all of this great stuff. And then here, there are always parallels in the past and present with the way that they do the storytelling mm-hmm. on Once Upon a Time. Here in Storybrooke, he can't do anything and he does finally get that opportunity to do something. Yeah, but he doesn't remember failing before. Right. Or seeming to fail. Right. Uh, and I have to say, from a production standpoint, I found the photo he looked at of himself and Emma on the bulletin board hilarious. Because he's literally wearing the same shirts <laughs> in the photo as he's wearing in the current scene. And he's <laughs> never really dressed that way before. So He not has exactly, dressed that way a couple times. A little bit. But usually his shirt's like more buttoned and stuff. And he back when that photo was supposed to have been taken, he basically wore all plaid. So it just looked like they had taken that photo about an hour previous. I was okay. a little bit more distracted by the missing person paper above that. That was oh. from Melissa Liu, who went missing on June 7th, 2009. Good grief. I thought, <laughs> who keeps track of such things? I do. I mean, time in Storybrooke before the curse was broken. I respect that pr- production went and took that photo, even if it was an hour before, because I hate when they use screen caps. Oh, like they use like right. a screen printout and frame okay. it. It's like there was no camera in Mary Margaret's apartment when her and Emma were having that intense conversation. Like, I hate <laughs> when they do that. So. Good on them for taking an actual picture. Or like when a necklace has multiple camera angles. (laughs) (laughs) So Arthur, and I'm going to still call him that until we know for certain otherwise, but he comes in with this sob story about his reliquary and that there's this missing being. Rewatching this episode then, remember then when he's talking about this, there is no being that is no being. So this whole thing is really about getting David's trust. And what can he do with that then? Is he wanting David to think there is a way back? How does Arthur even know about the magic beans? Yeah, I was confused about that when I realized there was no bean because he could have used like he could have just said my stuff got stolen. Like it doesn't have to be a bean. David would have still helped him. But the bean makes David want to help even more because David is probably also interested in returning home on good terms. Perhaps, but I mean, they've been in Storybrooke for a long time with that option and that's not something they seem to be seriously pursuing. I I don't know. I just, I feel like Arthur could have totally set him up, himself up for them knowing that he's messing with them because they did find the toadstool. And then they also have the book saying that they were looking for it. So if somebody, you know, puts on their detective cap and is like, oh, we were looking for this in Camelot, but he had it and he didn't give it to us. So why wouldn't he give it to us if he had it in Camelot? Did you get the feeling that Arthur didn't realize he needed the toadstool for anything anymore? 
because they've forgotten that whole time period. Right. Yeah. And I, I do have some more thoughts on that later on. But uh, yeah, maybe this whole thing about, hey, can you help us find this? And oh, by the way, there's a magic bean too, and blah, blah, blah. Maybe that was all really not only to get David's trust, but intended to get David to discover the mushroom. Toadstool. <laughs> there were some subtle things in the scene opening the box that I didn't notice before because I wasn't looking at it through the lens of knowing what they were up to. But as David bends down to look in the box, Griff kind of looks at Arthur a little bit like they've got something going on. And then Arthur kind of, well, when David put Griff on the spot saying, what are your theories? He starts trying to make something up and it wasn't going well, but this isn't how I saw it the first time. But realizing this time it was, I knew it was awkward before, but I thought he was just kind of (laughs) dumb. But... uh, but this time, I could tell he was nervous, and Arthur just interrupts him and kind of puts an end to the whole thing. Because apparently, Arthur, the noble king, is a better liar than any of his subjects. Huh. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I noticed a lot of stuff like that the second time in this particular context than the first. But I think it's just because we're not watching with such a critical eye the first time through. Right. And while all of this is happening, Emma is trying the dwarf pickaxe, which, (laughs) yeah, doesn't work. (laughs) But that's where... Have you thought about kissing it out? (laughs) (laughs) It did look like... I wish they kept the camera on Bobby Carlisle just another second longer, because it looked like he was actually in the process of making a kissing gesture <laughs> toward the sword or maybe even toward Emma. I don't know. But it, I just wanted to see one more second there. But it is a good point. Maybe there's simply someone Emma needs to kiss. Or maybe it's Henry needs to kiss Violet. I don't know. Violet? What? Remember the girl. Oh, that girl. Okay. See, quite forgettable. Maybe Henry needs to kiss Morgana. That's disgusting. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Well, we don't know if Morgana is an adult. I could be a child. Are you my mommy? Oh, that's right. There was the Violet Morgana theory. Yeah. (laughs) I listened a lot more attentively to this scene the second time through because, I, I don't know, because I realized what they were talking about because of having seen the end already. And... He said that they needed a hero to snuff out the light in Emma and then told her to go get the hero that they needed and that they both knew who that was. And then when I realized they were talking about gold, I was like, just no, this is not not acceptable. (laughs) He is the opposite of a hero. And I don't care what explanation they gave at the end. Just no. Well, here's a theory from Nate G on this. He said, before Rumpel became the Dark One, he was an empty slate because he was cowardly. He did neither good nor evil things. He just did nothing. Maybe Emma is trying to make him a hero so he can pull the sword and then revert back to his cowardliness and give the sword to Emma. Hmm. That sounds like something they might have somebody say in the show to explain things. (laughs) However, (laughs) cowards also do good and bad things, and Rumpel definitely did. So even if that's the explanation, I'm not buying it. Well, and even what Hook said later in the boat, that it wasn't Rumpel who was a villain. Like, he he painted him to be a hero in that scene. 
when Rumpel was just fighting for his family to stay together. That's not a cowardly mm. thing to do. Even mm-hmm. if he did it afraid, it was still a brave thing to do. Right. Now, we had, it's not the first mention of it, but we have in this scene, we have it mentioned, or we have it stated rather, what is the ambiguous goal of this particular story arc. Right now, it's snuff out the light. It's usually cast insert curse name here, but right now it's snuff out the light. What in the world does that mean? What does it accomplish? Is that still up for debate? Do you think the end is already written? <laughs> do we do we know what that looks like or how and how much success do you predict will be achieved before the Dark One is thwarted. I feel like that's like what he was talking about at the end of the last episode, his big monologue about family always keeping you a little bit in the light. Mm-hmm. So I think snuff out the light could either mean snuffing out all the love, all the loved ones in your life, which would be kind of depressing. Or it could just mean that Emma would reach a part, a level of darkness where that pull is no longer existent. So is it all the light anywhere or all the light in Emma, or all the light in Emma's life that's calling her back, and to what end? Is that so that the darkness can consume everything, as The Apprentice somewhat described briefly before, before Merlin tethered the darkness? I don't know. Well, that's a good let's, question. I just find it ambiguous. Let's listen to, again, what it was Rumpel said in the last episode. As long as the Dark Ones existed, one thing has always held us back. The pull of the family, we were so desperate to protect. The friendships that make it impossible to forget who we used to be. The magic that threatens to undo our most evil deeds. And, worst of all, the love that refuses to give up on us. No matter how hard we try, we can't escape the reach of the light. But, Emma Swan, you can change that. That's why you brought that sword here. You can do what no Dark One before you has ever done. You can make that weapon whole again. And use it to snuff out the light. Whatever. So it does make me think the Dark One wants to snuff out all light for forever. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds like a good existence for it. Do you think that it's like gradually snuffing out Emma's lights based on maybe the ingredients or the objects that are needed for the process? Like it seems like she kind of burned her bridge with Hook in this episode to get that sword. Like she looked pretty heartbroken. He maybe not as much, but she may not think that he loves her anymore. And thus then his pull, like that pull that Rumpel was talking about, the pull of your love that's not giving up on you – she may not believe that exists anymore. And so then that's one tie that's severed already. Maybe. Because, and let's talk about this now. What if we are misjudging Emma? What if when she asked Hook to trust her, remember how many times did she say something about trust me? I need you to trust me. Do I have your trust? As she was stealing the sword from him. Well, okay. Promising yeah. that, that all she needed was his trust. But... What if that's true? What if Emma is playing the dark one here and Emma has a plan and that's maybe part of why they're here is because Emma has a plan and she needs no one else to know about it 
and she is genuinely asking for trust. Jessica Olson sent in this feedback saying, I think that Emma intended on trying to smooth things over with Hook, but ended up getting information she needed to heal Rumple. She seemed to change demeanor as soon as she realized the sword could help her heal him. So I really don't think that was her intention to begin with. I don't think she had a motive other than to try to get Hook to want to be with her. If my theory is right and Emma really isn't all evil, it's really not good that Hook essentially just told her that he doesn't love her now. What good does it do? She said that all she needed from Hook was his trust and he wouldn't give it to her. It seems like a good place to start with when trying to get the old Emma back would be to not push her away which is all he seems to be doing. I don't mm. see him really trying to do anything other than being grumpy that she, quote, isn't the same, unquote. <laughs> and that kind of bothers me. Being grumpy. <laughs> she still hasn't done anything to hurt anyone in Storybrooke that we've seen, other than sleepy, but maybe Emma knew that Regina could undo that spell. But he's treating her like she is worse than Regina ever was, which doesn't make sense to me. Great feedback, Jessica. So what if Emma has a plan? In Hook's defense, which I never thought I'd say those words, (laughs) the woman he loves is claiming to have fully embraced the most evil being in existence, which he knows is technically inside of her, so it might be a little tough to deal with. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, I almost said I can relate. No, I can't relate, but I can understand. How you might have a hard time dealing with that. Why is nobody else thinking that perhaps because Emma was already 100% good, the darkness might not have the same effect on her? Why is nobody there thinking that? Why are just we thinking Mm. that? Well. Because we're all smarter than the characters (laughs) in the TV show. (laughs) And I also wonder if Emma was secretly plotting, which I really like that idea, but would she be able to keep that part of her mind separate from the part of her mind that's taken over from the dark one? to actually keep it a secret from the dark one. Remember when Mm, Rumpel was crazy because he had two voices in his head? Just throwing that out there. Yeah, and Emma does have two voices in her head. She has her own voice, basically. And then she has this dark one voice. Just before the little date with Hook and Emma, or attempted date, we got a little piece of information that I think answers one question I've had for a while, and maybe several others have had. Is Zelina truly pregnant? (laughs) i think that this picture the sonogram does indicate that yes she is truly pregnant especially when you look at her behavior this doesn't seem like the behavior of a woman who knows she's not pregnant oh she definitely knows she i definitely believe her now right yeah i mean she's way too excited to have a little impressionable person that she can control Completely. And that can love her and serve her and, and worship only her. only her. And she'll not leave the baby in the middle of the woods and let a tornado come and take the baby away. <laughs> and should that poor child ever love another, I see green twisters in its future. <laughs> Does anybody else think that it's maybe a bad idea to plot to steal slash break into the Dark One's house? Mm. Thief or not? I've heard of worse plans from these people. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> well, maybe Will Scarlet will help them and we'll get to just call him back from Forgotten Character Island. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Will, mm. we need you back. See, I think we can easily forget that Will was ever there. 
And we can just imagine him back at the end of Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, where he belongs. No. Do you know who can't forget that Will was there? Anybody who, who watched Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, yeah. Which we hope is all of you out there. If he comes back, yes, it better be with his true love. ABC, I know you have people listening. We want <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Wonderland on Blu-ray. And we would like a soundtrack. And we would like an explanation for what happened last year with Will Scarlet. Please and yes, thank you. Totally. And by explanation, we want an explanation as to why everything is still okay. But you know what ABC did give us that I think all boys everywhere have wanted to see happen is a joust between someone <laughs> on a horse and someone in a pickup truck. With a two by four. So we're not a Ford. <laughs> no, two by four and a Ford now. Yeah. <laughs> that reminded me of Medieval Times. Do you guys have that there? Oh, you were there? No, Medieval Times is a place. Oh. It's a place in Toronto where you go and you can dress up or you can just not dress up. And you like get served like a medieval meal. And then you watch like those horse, like those night battles where there's yeah. the long stick and the horse and they ride full speed. And and then the one of the knights is always evil. And wow. they throw flowers into the crowd at the girls. Are there and, kings and queens? I don't really. It's been a long time. It's a grade four school trip. There is something like that in the greater Cincinnati area. I know a lot of places there have is. them. Uh, they're they're called different things, like either medieval city or um, peasantville, or but whatever names they go by. I know some places have them, and they're, yeah, they're fun for the tourists. I've been to one that was a tiny kind of makeshift sort of thing where it was really just an arts and craft show, but everyone there was pretending. They were from medieval times, even though they were selling things for actual dollars and cents. But it, and it wasn't all that entertaining, <laughs> especially um, like a Renaissance fair. Yeah, kind of. Renaissance fair. Yeah. That's what. Yeah, uh, but there's it's a not place permanent. Here. You know, no, this yeah. is like, like a whole. Once a year. This, yeah, this is a permanent thing, and it's it's actually quite expensive to go to. Yeah, well, I want to see um, them drive a pickup truck. But in we're one just of those. we're just yeah. peasants. We can't afford all that. <laughs> so, what's the new sword in a Ford? What's the like? Two by four. Two and by a four and a Ford. That doesn't have the same ring. Joust in a Ford. Joust on a Ford. <laughs> I loved the Doctoberfest Chalice of Vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> Board on a Ford. Manic Prime in our chat room mentioned that. Board in a Ford. I like that. Oh, board in a yeah. So they they discover that this guy stole the stuff. Blah blah blah. <laughs> you know, all of this then. Yeah, sure. <laughs> But here are a couple things that stood out to me. One, the toadstool is there. Yeah. So does it mean that they never used it in Camelot? I would say yes. That's what that should mean. It could. Yeah. Unless you just hold it and say words and then it works. Yeah. Unless you can use it again. Well, and also think about this. If Arthur placed the toadstool there. Under for, the edge of the tent. Yeah. For David to discover. I think he just tossed it aside like, well, I'll, I'll dark it in there. <laughs> Which it kind of seems like he did place it there. Then maybe he knows more than he's letting on. Because if he knows that there's a reason to place it there, the only way he could know that is because he would remember from Camelot that David oh. was seeking that. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So what if Arthur, but did he... quote, Arthur, oh, unquote, <laughs> is really playing everybody... But did he know 
that David knew that he was seeking it in Camelot? Was Arthur privy to the information that they had discovered Regina's giant question mark in the book? Yeah, I feel like that was maybe unintentional that the toadstool was there. Arthur did come in when they were looking at the book. So he could have seen the book and seen the question mark and realized, Um, oh, they're looking for that. If I can help them find it, maybe that'll also help me get in better graces with them. I'm going to go out on a limb because trees and say that he doesn't remember the last six weeks. (laughs) But he is a very good liar. He is a very good liar. And apparently he's the primary target for the rabbit hole, which has a random sign out there in the middle of a field. (laughs) Yes, well, because clearly that's a main road into town. So you would want a billboard for people who, when passing through, can't even see the town so that they'll stop at the rabbit hole. If you have no idea what we're talking about, yes, I zoomed in on this. During the car chasing scene, there's a billboard and I zoomed in and it's for the rabbit hole and it's an arrow pointing. So it's not, it is right next to a building. That building is not the rabbit hole or maybe it was the former rabbit hole, but that there's an arrow pointing presumably toward town because the rabbit hole is actually in uh, near the middle of town. And the rabbit hole is the bar where we've seen uh, Lacey hanging out and other characters. Girls like night. Nearby, yeah. we saw Rumpelstiltskin beat someone up. It's really a bad part of town. So Griffin is taken to prison, or our version of a dungeon. I, I think he should have said that. <laughs> and this is where things start to get a little bit odd. That green potion that was supposedly Agrabah Viper Venom was actually in the reliquary. And did you notice Griff knew what it was the second he saw it? Yeah. Well, because he seems to be the keeper of the reliquary. Hmm. Hmm. Agrabah, hey? Yep. That's interesting. Still say it was mixed with squid ink. Um, (laughs) Why? Okay. Bad things happen in this cell. Okay. So why do they ever leave it unattended? Well, maybe because they at least have a security system with a camera. Again, if this doesn't Mm -hmm. come up. I mean, because the guy just blinked out of existence so they've got a missing prisoner so what do you do you go look at the security tape so if this doesn't come up next week i'm going to be thoroughly frustrated just gonna put that out there and why green smoke well when people get murdered by visitors to the cell they tend to turn into (laughs) green smoke and disappear so does that mean he traveled through time and became someone else Something weird happened because that is not what Agrabah Viper Venom does. No, no, they did call it a poison this time. Yeah. I went back to the episode Fruit of the Poisonous Tree from season one, which is when we got to meet Agrabah Viper and we got to see it or had to see it. (laughs) Such a compelling character, that Agrabah Viper. Kill King Leopold. Mm -hmm. And what it did to him was it gave him these black veins that spread all over his face and if you're interested, yes, we'll have a screenshot in the show notes for, at oncepodcast.com slash 210. But that's what Agrabah Viper Venom did. Yeah, it acted a lot like a snake bite. Yeah. Amazingly. This, this was something different. And in fact, what would be, I think, more logical for covering up would be if the body was still there and he had the potion with him and then Arthur could say something like, oh, I never knew a man, I never knew him to be a coward like this, to take his own life like that. 
Yeah, he easily could have swiped the bottle from the chest and then had it with him. And yeah. Wow. So it makes me think that Arthur has a bigger reason. Too bad for they didn't consult you. That's a great <laughs> way to do it. Or the the venom killed him, but the green smoke wasn't the venom. The green smoke was quote Arthur unquote doing something. <sighs> So Arthur Zelina? <laughs> not, not Zelina, but maybe Morgana, <laughs> maybe someone else, maybe the, Arthur is Merlin. Actually, I don't I don't know. But there are certain things that have me questioning stuff like that. I feel like even if they did that, they still could have led it back to Arthur because they would have like David could have like looked at the surveillance tape seen oh the green bottle that was just in the chest oh how did he get that oh arthur must be involved if he was a real sheriff there we go right (laughs) not just a scared parent (laughs) what i really kind of want to happen is that they do look at the security tape and arthur's like whoa this land's magic is more powerful than i thought (laughs) and then he has to come clean about what he's doing or at least part of it that's what Mm -hmm. i want or at least they know what they're up against even if they don't confront him right away Mm -hmm. Because as far as we know, he does not have the magic to alter the security footage. No. Nate G suggested that maybe Arthur is an anti-hero. Not necessarily a villain, but maybe an anti-hero. Nate G said, quote, a leader that thinks he needs to compromise for the greater good, unquote. Hmm. Which could certainly fit. That's because what I think. He does seem like he's trying to do the wrong things for the right reasons. Oh my gosh, where have we heard that before? Every single character on the entire series. Correct answer was Merlin. Merlin. Oh, oh, right. The guy, the guy in the movie theater. Right. So maybe, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this actually occurred to me when we were talking about Emma and her true motives. Maybe she really is playing the dark one in more ways than one. And she is working on a scheme. And so she's trying to get the sword out for the right reasons, even though she's trying to keep the darkness thinking that it's for the wrong reasons. But still, she has the warning from when she was little. I still think he went back too far because she probably doesn't even remember. (laughs) She has the warning, though, to not do it, even when she has the chance and even though it's for the right reasons. Because bad things. And... I'm really interested to see if we know, we can really assume that the sword will be put together and made whole at Mm -hmm. some point. What kind of bad things will happen? Maybe that will be a total unleash of darkness. She's going to snuff out the light whether she wants to or not. And that's going to lead to a lot of lit candles in Storybrooke. And they're just going to be like, wow, it's dark. Or backfire. (laughs) And it's not going to snuff out light. It's going to be the opposite. It's going to be all the lightness. So Emma does kidnap Rumpelstiltskin. And as soon as he wakes up, you can see kind of the cowardice on him. (laughs) Or or it could also be that he's just like, whoa, Emma, you're a lot different. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was just being called nothing. You are nothing. Mm -hmm. It's just rude. (laughs) Emma did say to the Dark One in her brain that she worked hard for the Cutlass. Head rumple? Huh? That's what I call the Dark Uh, One in her brain. (laughs) My hump can be removed. (laughs) (laughs) So it does make me think that when she had the date with Hook, she was working the whole time to get that Cutlass or to discover it 
not that she was there with the purpose of rebuilding a relationship with Hook, but she was there trying to find something that she needed in order mm-hmm. to wake up Rumple. And this time I saw the look on her face when she took the sword. Yeah. Kind of a, I got it kind of, or she was being, she very carefully made sure she took it when he turned around. And she was covering up, up with playing games again. Right. I don't know, man. She, like, Dark One Emma is a really good actress if that conversation didn't hurt her at all. I think it did. But I think, okay, so on the other side, if she really isn't pretending, she wants what all the villains want, everything. Yeah. She (laughs) wanted to get the sword from Hook. She also wants his love. And she wants his trust. But she also doesn't want him to know what she's doing. She wants him to trust her, but she wants to also be able to be untrustworthy. So maybe she just wants everything. It could have been a big setup to say, Hook, I need you to trust me. Would you give me something that belonged to Rumpel before he became the dark one? And then she had to take it. That would make her more trustworthy yeah. for sure. But she's going to turn Rumpel into the hero. Uh, <laughs> and what does that mean? Like, how does he become the hero? She said, She'll make him into a hero. That makes me think that she's going to release him and maybe allow herself to be defeated by him in some way so that he becomes a hero in Storybrooke or maybe sets up some fake things that allow him to become a hero. She'll start small like a cat in a tree and he'll rescue it. (laughs) If he can, you know, hobble up a ladder and not be afraid of that. And, you know, she'll go on from there. And somehow, eventually, he'll be the greatest hero who's ever lived, somehow. Don't know how that works precisely. But then again, there could be some other magic babble that happens in the next couple weeks that explains precisely how she's going to transform him. He'll be the purest hero. The purest hero. I roll. Yeah. Then he can sit on the Siege Perilous. (laughs) if it you know still exists and stuff i do wonder if rumple recognizes that emma is seeing a dark one and it could be cool if in the next episode rumple starts saying like mr gold rumple real rumple starts saying to emma emma i know who you're seeing i know what you're seeing don't listen to him don't listen to the darkness or or, you know cool things could happen there (laughs) bad things Katie suggested that maybe Henry could have been the hero that Emma needed. And Alina Harris suggested maybe someone else. Alina said, if Merlin prophesied the Savior saving him, why didn't he tell Arthur the Savior's name? Unless Arthur knows, and Arthur is the reason Merlin is stuck in the tree to begin with. If I remember correctly, in an episode of Charmed, the firstborn child was prophesied to wield Excalibur. Since Emma is the savior and equally powerful, maybe Snow and Charming's son is destined to wield Excalibur. So maybe baby Neil could be the one who's supposed to wield Excalibur. Baby Neil. I mean, he'll have to wait until he's bigger than Excalibur, probably. Or they can just hold the baby out of the sword. Put your little hands on it. Come on. Here's your little pacifier. Sorry, it's so big. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hope they're not wrong. That sword's powerful. I feel like even Rumpel, who had a prophecy about Emma, didn't know her name until they told, until Snow and Charming told 
him her name. So I don't know that Merlin would have all of that information, assuming his prophecy works about the same as Rumpel's. True, but didn't we in season four see that Merlin did know Emma's name because when he passed the prophecy on to Ingrid that the Savior would be her sister, the prophecy did say the Savior's name would be Emma. So it's not like Merlin didn't know and couldn't have told Arthur. But maybe Merlin intentionally did not tell Arthur. Maybe. Maybe. Do you mean Arthur in quotes? Yes. (laughs) Quotated Arthur. So what did you think about some of the stuff that we've brought up? Do you think Arthur is really who he says he is? Where do you think Morgana, if at all, fits into this? If there are any spoilers, I don't want to know. But you'll get to know if you listen to the spoilers from Hunter and Jacqueline in just a few moments after we end out this episode. But we'd love for you to continue the conversation. There are two places you can do that. One is in the show notes for this episode oncepodcast.com slash 210 and also on our forums at oncepodcast.com slash forums. It's really easy and free to join and there you can have conversations about past episodes, about future episodes. There are specific spoiler sections for upcoming episodes so it's a great place to talk with other Once Upon a Time fans, theorize about things and continue this conversation and we'd love to have you part of the community. Please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast, and I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon, that's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. I'm Aaron, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron J. Cruz. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers helping us each week, several times a week, in fact, to keep the podcast going and helping it to go so well. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating the forums, Keb managing our timeline. Go check it out at oncepodcast.com slash timeline and my fellow co-hosts for doing this podcast with me. And until next time, remember, if your name is on something, hold on to it. And thanks for listening. (laughs) Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be one of them and keep the podcast going, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast. So we're at episode 504, Broken Kingdom. After receiving a cryptic warning from Lancelot about Arthur's intentions, Mary Margaret realizes Arthur may be the hero's biggest threat, but when she is unable to convince David of the danger, she takes matters into her own hands. Meanwhile, Hook's unwavering love for Emma provides a glimmer of hope in her struggle against unrelenting voice of Rumpelstiltskin. In a Camelot flashback, Guinevere senses that Arthur is losing his way, consumed by his obsession with making Excalibur whole. So she sets out with Lancelot on her own quest into the heart of darkness. 
In Storybrooke, Dark Emma unleashes a secret weapon in the next phase of her plan to find the brave soul she needs to draw Excalibur from the stone. This one's written by David H. Goodman and Jerome Schwartz and directed by Arlick Riley. This is a lot of plot. It is, and for a short episode. Yeah, it's... Um, so basically, there are three different time streams. Because we have Camelot of six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We have Camelot of the far past. And then we have present-day Storybrooke. Yes. Lots and lots going on. It's going to be one of those plot-heavy episodes, I think. Yes. And we've got quite a few guest stars. Yeah. we got Cinqua Walls is back as Lancelot. Amy Manson as Merida, so we get to see her again. Liam Garrigan as King Arthur. Andrew Jenkins as Percival, which is, I guess we're going back just a little bit, because didn't he die? He died, so I'm guessing that he's part of the Camelot of long ago. Probably. Joanna Metris as Guinevere. Olivia Steele Falconer as Violet. Webb Hayes as Young Arthur. Aaron Chasm as Young Kay. And Delia Bella as Young Guinevere. Yeah, so... We're obviously going back quite a bit if we're going to be seeing young Arthur and young Guinevere. Yes. So that's exciting. Yes. Now, we did get a promo. Mm -hmm. We got an American one. We still haven't gotten any Canadian promos this year. I don't like that. I know. We show more different stuff. But the American promo is very tense and action-packed. It's kind of hard to tell what's really going on. A lot of swords and daggers are sort of flying all over the place. It's going to be one of those episodes where I think people fight. Um, Snow doesn't want to trust King Arthur and wants to hide the dagger. And we do see Arthur holding a sword to Snow and Lancelot demanding the dagger. And, of course, we get a little bit of a glimpse of Rumple telling Emma to save herself. Yes. We did get some set photos that were from ABC. They kind of confused me a little. I don't know about you. Unless they all are in Camelot, because we see Snow with a lantern dressed in what looks like the outfit she wears in Camelot, in Granny's with David. Right, so it must be that at some point during their stay in Camelot, they go back to Granny's. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise it didn't make any sense in my head. And Lancelot's there too, so. There are quite a few of Lancelot. Yes. We also see Rumpel dressed up as the Dark One. So I'm going to guess that's when he's talking with Emma. I think so, but I also think that that is part of the long-distant pass. I think Lancelot and Guinevere are in the forest with Rumpel. Mm-hmm. And um, if you notice in one of the set photos, Guinevere is wearing the gauntlet that we saw in episode 411, Heroes and Villains. And I think what happens is her adventure with Lancelot leads them to meet Rumpel and he makes a deal for the gauntlet. So, yeah, and the last photo is Lancelot and Guinevere with their swords out all set to fight. Right. So, I'm assuming they're probably talking to Rumpel. Yeah. So, again, it's one of those episodes where the timeline is going to be quite packed. Yes. We also got a sneak peek already. Normally, we don't get them quite early enough for Hunter and I to be able to talk about them, but we did get one this week. And this is Camelot of six weeks ago. We have Emma. She's making dream catchers. And yeah, they're hanging all over her window. There's like four or five of them. And she's being taunted by Rumpel, the Rumpel that's in her head. 
and it gets very, very intense. She's obviously quite distressed over what he's saying about giving into the darkness. She ends up shooting out a little bit of magic to try and make Rumple go away and almost hits Hook. And then Hook comes in and tries to calm her down and soothe her. And Emma is obviously still quite in distress. Looks interesting. I can't wait. Yeah, the the Dreamcatcher thing is going to be interesting because we do know that the episode after this one is called Dreamcatcher. So I'm guessing the Dreamcatchers must play some kind of vital importance here. Yes. Okay, let's move on. We've got some casting news. Not really full-on casting news, though. Right. We were teased. Mm Mm-hmm. And the producers are currently casting a young version of Hook and his father for a flashback to the pirate's childhood. Yes, and we will be seeing who his father is, apparently, before winter break. Okay. So uh, my guess is somewhere around episode 510 or 511, because we haven't gotten any official casting news yet. So I'm guessing that it's going to be one of the very last episodes of the this arc that we see him. Yes. We did get a new episode title. We did. Episode 510. Yes, this is Broken Heart, and it is written by Dana Horgan and Sei Chun. And unlike that we had previously thought, episode 510 is not going to be the winter finale. It originally was going to be a 10-12 split, but they have, I'm not really sure what they've done, because it was very confusing this weekend trying to figure out what episodes are what. But it is going back to the 11-11 split. So episode 511 will be the winter finale, with 512 being the spring premiere and the 100th. And then episode 508 and 509 are going to be shown together in two hours. Because is that right around the November 22nd when there will not be an episode? It's Yeah, it's the one right before. So it's okay. November 11th that that's going to air. It's a two-hour special. Right, because the next week there is an award show on. So yes. we don't get an episode. Correct. It's going to confuse us and it's going to confuse everyone else, especially with these episode title numbers because everyone mixes it up when they do a supersized episode. But we'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. We got a little bit of information for what's to come. Not much, of course, because they're never going to actually give us everything. But in an upcoming episode, we will get to see Lancelot and delve deeper into the iconic love triangle between him, Guinevere, and Arthur. Yeah, and I get the feeling that's going to start being teased this week. Yeah, well, they did bring it up a little bit last week. Right, so I think we're going to see Lancelot and Guinevere obviously more this week, and we'll start to learn how Once Upon a Time is going to twist that love story. Yes. There will be an adventure with Hook and the Evil Queen in the first half of the season. That's kind of different for them. That's very different. I'm not sure where that fits on the timeline because they're calling her the evil queen which suggests a flashback but hook and regina met once before he went off to wonderland to try and kill cora and then you know like a day or so after that she cast the bubble with the staff so (laughs) i'm not sure where this fits in the timeline unless they're just calling her evil queen instead of regina yeah yeah, that's that's possible. I guess we'll go with that. Because otherwise, the timeline just got really weird. Yes. Speaking of timelines and storylines, Henry's is going to break your heart. 
and the others are definitely a roller coaster, they said. Yeah. So, I'm guessing Henry falls in love with Violet. Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about that. He's 13. I don't want him falling in love and getting his heart broken at the age of 13. (laughs) But if you think about it, technically that's how old Snow White was when she fell in love with her prince. In the real storyline. In okay, in the real storyline, when people got <laughs> married when they were fourteen, because you were dead by the time you were twenty-five. <laughs> I, I don't know. We'll we'll see how that goes. I would rather this be a a puppy love kind of thing where they just agree to be friends because they're too young or whatever. But I really hope this doesn't turn into some big romantic drama for him. <laughs> Okay, moving on. The second half of the season will contain a different arc from the first half. And if you've been paying close enough attention, most of us have probably figured out what it is. It's probably going to be Hades and the Underworld. Um, we did, of course, have the Fury and uh, Charon from Greek mythology making an appearance two episodes ago in episode 502. There have also been some other little hints um, to Greek mythology, and we – a lot of us think that we're going to Hades in the second half of the season. Well, that'd be so different. I like that. Yeah, so maybe they'll incorporate Hercules. Um, they could possibly incorporate the villain from the frog – the princess and the frog, the Disney movie uh, from a couple – Dr. Falasir. Facilite. No, Faci- Dr. Yeah. Facilite. Why can't I say it now? You could ask me any other time and I can say it. All right. Well, everyone knows who we mean. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's probably what we're going to be doing the second half of the year. Yes, that's excellent. Okay. So we know Rumpel woke up in this last episode and Belle is going to be on the search for her, according to Eddie Kitsis. She knows he's been taken. She thinks Emma is behind it and is going to go look for him. Belle gets really strong this year. Yes. And so far... We don't know if they are going to be using Emilita Raven's pregnancy or not. Yeah. Because she, she did announce on Twitter about a week or so ago that she's pregnant. Um, but we don't know if that means a rumbell baby or not. Yeah. Or they actually are pretty good at hiding that kind of stuff. Yeah, they can hide it. So. They can. So it it might not. <laughs> if, they, if they decide to not bring it up in the show, you're going to be seeing her with a lot of big jackets and a lot of big bags and holding pillows in front of her. And she'll be shot from the chest up. Yes. And she'll be standing behind a lot of counters. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So we did get a set photo we want to talk about. And this was around the time that they were shooting episode 509. And mm-hmm. it was of Mulan, Ruby, and Merida all together. So exciting. They were all wearing their Enchanted Forest clothing. And I'm going to keep saying this, but I think Mulan and Merida are going to be the LGBT couple. That'd be cute. And I've decided to call them Brave Warrior until further notice. Okay. That's what I'm going to call them. Okay, very nice. I just like it because it's all three strong women. Yeah, and they they look like they're having fun. So whenever we finally get to see that episode a couple weeks from now, it it will hopefully be a good one because those three are, are great characters. Yep. So I think that's all we have for you this week, guys. Yep. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Bit of Pixie Dust. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers.